How's it going, Mayo? It's going good. How are you? I'm good. I've been on vacation slash like a staycation situation this week. So this is the first time I've really sat down at a computer since last Friday. And I was telling you before we started recording, it's like a miracle that I made it on time. Because <laughs> I, I, woke, I woke up this morning and my phone was dead, like completely dead. So like none of the alarms went off. and But I made it. We're here. I've just been like falling asleep wherever. That's because I, that's because your iPhone 14 Pro battery so degraded. Yeah, ninety two percent didn't make it overnight. But keep keep the segue going yeah. of the non issue. <laughs> but yeah, I've just been like falling asleep wherever I fall asleep. Like so, last night I fell asleep watching baseball on the couch and woke up and it was like eight thirty and my phone was dead and I was super disoriented. But we're here and we have some stuff to talk about. Yeah, I can't say you've missed a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's not been the most it's not been the most delightful week in terms of or expansive week in terms of news. It's a bit of the August lull, right? Yeah. The few uh, times I check the site throughout the week, it seems like the dominating story is about the cables that are coming with the yeah. iPhone fifteen, but I think like you, I'm pretty skeptical that these cables are actually for the iPhone fifteen. So can you tell us about this? I've braided yeah, USB C. So Obviously, we know the iPhone 15 is going to USB-C on both the base model and the Pro model. The port will be changing from Lightning to a USB-C port, which will bring and the iPhone in line with Apple's other products, right? The the Mac, the iPad. Um, we think that this change or the timing of this transition is mostly um, based on the fact that the EU is enforcing it from next year, that they're basically forcing phone manufacturers to use this port. And so Apple's kind of going along, going along with the flow. But I mean, if you look at the, if you imagine the regulatory environment wasn't here, I think Apple would still probably get rid of Lightning at some point. Like, yeah, it's just awkward being, you know, the iPad and the Mac were on USB C for a good reason, and then the iPhone was kind of left straggling. And every year there are complaints that the iPhone's uh, port isn't good enough to support the pro use cases Apple tries to portray for its camera and stuff. So, cause like you can take, you know, 4K ProRes video, but it's gigabytes and gigabytes and gigabytes in size. And then the only way to get it off is you could either do it wirelessly, which is obviously has its own problems. Or if you want to do it by wire, you are reduced to USB two speeds over the lightning port. So I think pretty evidently there was going to be some change uh, coming from Apple on the port situation. Maybe not this year, maybe it would have been next year or something like the exact timing of it being every single iPhone uh, 15 model this cycle is probably predicated based on the the legal requirement but you know if you go on a five-year time scale i don't think lightning was going to be too long for this world like lightning's been around since 2012 with the iphone 5 and now it's 2023 it's been a more than a decade and i think uh you know it, it had its good run and there were definitely reasons to use it at the time but it probably is about time to move to something more standards based especially when you've already transitioned your other products to it because now finally all of apple's devices will be able to charge using the same cable which is handy um the kind of rumor of the of the week is that there are all these leaks quote-unquote leaks of photos of usb-c cables that are braided and are supposedly coming with the iphone 15 in the box um so obviously the the ipad pro for instance that has usb-c already that comes with the usb-c cable in the box uh, I think it was pretty obvious that Apple would include a cable in the box because they do now. There was no reason not to in the future. When they did, when they took out the charger and the headphones, you still get the cable. So you still get the, right now it's a one meter lightning cable. Um, and so 
with the fact that everything else about the iPhone 15 is well and truly documented at this point and we'll have an event announcement probably within about, you know, maybe a week, uh, the rumour mill has turned very squarely on the cable, which I guess has some um, motivation, the fact that as demand, as supply is ramping up, ready for the launch, then some of these more, you know, ancillary or supporting components do leak out. Um, and so there's been photos of the supposed cable that the iPhone 15 will come with. It is a blue braided cable that is longer in length. So the cable is supposedly one and a half meters long. Um, it is braided, which is a nice touch, uh, like the cables that come with the Max these days. And it's colored blue, uh, presumably to match the blue color of the iPhone itself. And the idea is that every iPhone 15 will come with a color match cable, which is nice. Uh, if you look at the edge of the cable, it has the extra support. So it does imply that it is a phone cable because I saw some people saying, well, isn't that just like the cable for the, like, the magic keyboard or something? But A, it's colored or like the iMac and B, if you like look closely at it, like it is slightly different design compared to what they ship on the Mac. However, the big question mark is whether this cable pictured is actually an Apple cable or right. whether it's just a, you know, a Chinese cable <laughs> that's been produced and they're going to sell because, you know, for years and years and years, the the aftermarket or the grey market, the black market, whatever we call it, of China has been well equipped to produce iPhone accessories for the upcoming model before it was official. They cloned the device, they cloned the headphones, they cloned the chargers, they cloned the cables. When it was Lightning, which is supposedly a proprietary cable, but it was easily cloned, you know, hundreds of Chinese makers make Lightning cables in all different varieties, braided cables, plastic cables, coloured cables, you know, multi-split cables, long cables, short cables... And now it's even easier for that to happen because USB-C yeah. is standards-based. So it's even easier for people to make whatever cable they want, package it up, and then take a photo of it and say this is what's shipping with the phone. So I don't know how much faith to put in these things. But if you look at what they do on the iPads or what the other products they ship, they do ship cables in the boxes with them and they are USB-C. So some sort of cable is going to ship. Whether it's color matched, I think, is more of a question mark. And whether it's the one and a half meters versus like the, the one meter length uh, that is shipped in current phones is a bit out for debate. But supposedly that's what's happening. The If it's longer than previous lightning cables, and I think that's the bigger change than it being braided or color matched or whatever, because the one meter cable length that Apple includes is just it's not practical for hardly anything. Like, it's okay, like, in a car or maybe at your desk, like, connected to your laptop or whatever. But if you're trying to plug a brick into the wall and then charge your iPhone, like, while you're actively using it, one meter is just way too short. So I'd welcome a one and a half meter cable. And I don't really care if it's color matched or whatever. But do you know one of the reasons why it's only one meter they ship with the current phones? Because it's Hmm. small, right? Oh, yeah. If to fit in the iPhone box... You have to have small accessories. They took out the headphones and the power brick all together to make the box even smaller. Like the the the, the size of the box has a direct knock-on effect on environmental factors and how much it costs Apple to ship them. Because you know you make the box like five percent smaller, you can fit five percent more phones in a in a plane that gets shipped that gets air fried for delivery, right? So yeah. like the the size of the iPhone box is really at a premium. So it makes me skeptical they're going to make the cables bigger because uh, that takes up more space. You need a bigger box. Um, there has been rumours, though, that the box is getting redesigned, like the packaging oh, box yeah. the phone comes in. Mm-hmm. So maybe that is why. Maybe they are actually making the cable a bit longer, uh, which would be... The thing The thing that makes me laugh, though, is like... They missed an opportunity, I think, to ship USB-C chargers with the phones because they... they when For the longest time, they would ship USB-A to lightning cables in the box, right? 
then a couple of years ago they started shipping for one generation they shipped a USB-C um, cable with lightning on the end Bef- but before but that was after sorry that was after they took the oh yeah adapters out yeah. right so you end up with a situation where people who had USB-C to lightning cables but no power adapter to plug them into um, and now you've got a situation where you've got USB-C on both ends so I'm still very like interested to see what the public reaction is going to be to this thing because like obviously if you're a you know you're a bit of techie you understand that oh you know the cables are match the other things and uh, you know you can get faster data speeds hypothetically we'll talk about that in a second um, but you are getting a different port and most people in the most of the iPhone population don't have Macs, right? They have Windows computers or nothing at all, and they have iPhone lightning cables all over the place. So someone is going to be upset. I don't know whether it's going to be the mass population. I don't think it's going to be as bad as the 30-pin to lightning transition was because that was like headline after headline for months. Yeah. And even... even But it, it sticks in people's mind. Like, even now, you hear people joke about, like, Apple's always changing the cable or whatever that comes with the phone, and they did it once, and they're about to do it again. So the the backlash or the or the press situations may be very very interesting from the, the general public. Part of that general public reaction too is going to tie into, okay, they changed from thirty pin to lightning. Then a few years later, they removed the headphones from the box. Then a few years later, they moved the removed the charging brick from the box, and now they're changing it again. Which like there is some logic to that. That things the ways you charge your iPhone change on a rather routine basis. But I think, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, this, the benefit of USB-C is going to outweigh any con- inconvenience. But one thing I've been thinking about, too, is whether this is the year we see Apple finally offer some of its own, like a new generation of wireless chargers. or Like we have the MagSafe Duo, but the MagSafe Duo is like, it's crap. Like nobody should buy the MagSafe Duo. But if Apple offers... It doesn't even support the faster Apple Watch charger. Right, yeah. And it's... What is it? Is it the 14 Pro where the camera bump like makes it slightly misaligned and makes it harder to mm. actually get? Oh, at least on the Max, I think. Maybe yeah. not on the Pro, but yeah. on the Max. Yeah. So I think... The MagSafe Duo has always been a stupid like joke. Like, Yeah. I have one. It's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it, it just feels like they didn't ship air powers. So they're like, we need something that we can give people that can charge a couple of things at once wirelessly. It's like... Is something that's got an Apple Watch charger on one side and a MagSafe pack on the other side as well. It is nice for when you're Silly. traveling, but less so now that it doesn't support the fast Apple Watch charger because I think it's Mophie has a really good three-in-one that like folds over itself and supports AirPods, iPhone, and fast Apple Watch charging. And it's just as expensive as MagSafe Duo, but at least it gets you everything that you want. But I know the iPhone 15, it's going to support, what is it, Qi 2, which is basically like the standard developed on the basis of MagSafe, so the magnetic sort of connection between the phone and the charger. So I think that'll be a big benefit for finding wireless chargers that are cheaper and support MagSafe that might help also offset some of the anger around USB-C. Because the next logical step in all of this is removing the charging port altogether. Yeah, and there were rumors for what Apple was going to ship like an iPhone like this year that didn't have a port at all, but those were clearly clearly misguided because I don't think the port was going anywhere for a while. Uh, yeah, speaking of faster charging speeds, the iPhone 15 will also support faster charging speeds over that USB-C cable. Uh, according to 95 Mac sources, it will now be able to, the iPhone 15 models will be able to charge up to 35 watt uh, charging rate. The current iPhone 14 Pro is limited to 27 watt, 
while the regular iPhone 14 is 20 watts. So going to 35 basically means you'll be able to fast charge your phone a bit faster. Um, right now, it takes about, what, like two hours to f- f- charge a 14 Pro Max using USB-C yeah. um, power delivery. So, you know, you'll get, a, you'll get a bit of extra charging time if it bumps up to 35 watt. Uh, the other rumor in the air is that the Pro models of iPhone 15, so iPhone 15 Pro, iPhone 15 Pro Max, uh, will have a Thunderbolt port on the bottom rather than just straight USB-C, uh, which will give higher data transfer speeds, um, which would be nice. Uh, and and gels with like the whole use case that Apple portrays of you know shoot 4K ProRes on your phone and then go and get it edited because like those those um like movie sets that do like the shot on iPhone stuff mm-hmm. they have they, the way they get around the slow data transfer problem right now is they literally just have like ten phones on set and they just swap them out every time they fill up so they can start copying loads and loads of data um faster and faster whereas if you just have a faster port you can you know just move the files off quickly and obviously thunderbolt supports multiple gigabyte speeds and we've already seen thunderbolt on the ipad pro so it makes sense they could bring it to the pro models of the phone too uh the gotcha is that the cable that comes with the phone according to reports this week uh won't support that in fact it will only support usb2 data transfer speeds um so the cable that comes with in the box won't be you know thunderbolt or whatever it would just be like a very very slow uh, if you're using it for data but obviously it's meant for charging and this is the same as what apple ships with ipads right they don't ship a thunderbolt cable in the box you just get a usb c charge cable um and the charge cable is meant for charging but it also supports you know old style usb data transfer but the port will support higher speed, higher bandwidth. So if you get a compatible cable, then you better do faster speeds, which would be nice. So will the cable that comes in the box support the 35 watt charging, or we need a separate cable for that too? I think it would support the faster charging. Okay, yeah. that's good. That's what most people would care about. Yeah, like the data transfer stuff is um, niche, right? It yeah. addresses the niche of people that like, for instance, ProRes video, which is a niche until itself. Or people that take a lot of photos or whatever, but yeah, the fast charging speeds. Um, you'll need a the the, the 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 charging speed depends on the brick, right? So like if you get a if you get a slow USB C brick, it won't charge at 35 watt. But if you get a 35 watt brick, then it will. Um, so that is more than you never want to know about the cable that comes with the iPhone 15. <laughs> uh, we're expecting the event on the 12th or the 13th, right? Yeah. So invites probably the first couple of days september because they're usually like 10 days out or something i think last year it was like invites were sent like today the event was a week earlier yeah so that would mean basically a week from today maybe yeah so maybe the 30th or 31st of august probably like and while we're recording the show while we're recording, <laughs> yeah then we'll be whipped up into the full cycle because at least for, although for this event we're expecting more iphone apple watch yeah and nothing else kind of situation maybe some like service announcement but like hardware wise iphone apple watch and then maybe that ipad air an, yeah maybe an ipad air um or we'll get like well that'll be safe for an october event situation which either be an actual event or it'll just be press release kind of situation where you can get the ipad updates and then the m3 max uh, start rolling I know Skirman has said that October is likely for the Mac, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not until November. Because we also saw a report this week that iPhone 15, what was it, Pro Max, could still end up being delayed. So it depends. Yeah, they said the camera the camera um, production was behind schedule. They might have an October event and it ships in November, you know? Yeah. Because what? That's, gonna, that's just going to be a new iMac, Mac 13 inch MacBook Pro, and what else? Third. Supposedly the MacBook Air. Yeah, 13 the inch. MacBook Air. 
yeah, so some nice updates coming. The the full product cycle is definitely getting underway. Then also at the September event, we'd expect the release date for iOS 17. And right online, we got iOS 17 beta 7 this week. And so that means we're now on a weekly release schedule. Beta 6 was last week. And what usually that switchover happens pretty close to when the update's actually released. So we'll probably get beta 8 next week, maybe, and then the release candidate the week of the event. Yeah, and we're on weekly updates now because obviously beta 6 was last week. So this is the classic pattern where they accelerate the releases. Um, Still not much stuff new in these betas anymore. Um, the haptics back though when you toggle silent mode remember <laughs> we talked about last week whether that was a you know a bug around the action button whether it may be but at least now there's a different haptic when you turn from uh, um, from silent to ring so at least there you have a little uh, thingy back and one thing that we spotted today that isn't I'm not sure if it's definitely new in beta 7 but it's new in like iOS 17 is that the Apple Maps offline maps feature actually has a nice little detail where uh, if you are doing plan, so but, uh, offline maps is like new in iOS 17 in mm-hmm. general, right? So you can like go ahead and select a map area and download it for offline. So if you if you don't have Wi-Fi or cellular, you can still navigate around. Uh, it's a feature Google Maps had a long time, and it's one of the things that Apple Maps like feature for feature is really lacked on. So it's great it's there, and it and they do like automatic updates of the maps, so you don't have to manually refresh them. They just do it by themselves. Uh, and then one little um, like nice detail is if you're planning a route and Apple Maps backend believes that along your route you're going to have low signals like poor signal it will prompt you up front to download the offline map for that route so ah. you don't have to, you don't you can't forget it will just pop up for you and be like hey do you want to have the offline version of this map instead and then you press yes and you can go on your route it's unclear like how they determine what what gives you poor service like is it based on your carrier is it just based on geography um but the example that works is if you like do a route to Yosemite National Park, which is obviously in the middle of nowhere, uh, it will say, you might, well, you're you probably going to have poor service in this area. Uh, do you want to download for offline? Uh, it's a really nice little touch. that, like You have the feature, and then you have like yeah. little bits built on top of it that just make it a little nicer. And then it prompts you to select how much of that map you want downloaded. Is that right? Look, just looking at this image in the post. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after you tap it, it like it like um, draws out the rectangle of the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you can adjust it or make it a bit bigger, a bit smaller. That's basically, it's just like a shortcut into the offline map setup experience. Um, but it shows up, obviously, when you need it, i.e. when you're just playing a route. So are we thinking iOS 17 is coming like the day after the event or the week after the event? It's normally, well, they've, they've, they've done it on various different yeah. times. Like sometimes it's the day after. But the general pattern is like the Monday following, right? Mm-hmm. So like if the event's on the 12th, then you'd have pre-orders for the phones on the 15th and then iOS 17 comes out on the 18th, basically. That kind of that kind of time frame. Then, remember, macOS Sonoma is not until, what, probably October. So that'll... Yeah. September will just be iOS, iPadOS, what, tvOS and watchOS? Yeah, tvOS and watch, yeah. But not too far away. And then I assume it, we saw iOS 17.1 already in our... 9 to 5 max like Google Analytics. So that's that beta one prop that could come right around the time of the event. Because remember in past years, they've released 17.1 right after the event. But if you have a new iPhone coming, everybody says hold off on installing it. Because then you, if, you're, if your current iPhone's running 17.1 beta, you won't be able to restore that backup to your new iPhone. 
So I imagine that's yeah the iCloud backups now go backwards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I imagine that's going to happen this year, but that could include what collab and they, and they have like the journal app and stuff yeah. still promised for future release. Journal app, collaborative playlists, and Apple Music and AirDrop over over the network, or if the two iPhones go yes. far apart. So yeah, some good stuff coming. Yeah, some nice little things. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Factor. Go to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. The busy full season is just around the corner and with so much other stuff to do, you might be looking for convenient cooking options. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit offering wholesome, convenient meals perfect for your jam-packed days. Factor meals are flavorful, nutritious, and delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle. Eat well without the hassle. With Factor, you don't need to spend time and energy on all the usual prep, chop, cook, serve, and clean up work, and you can skip a trip to the grocery store. At the same time, Factor's meals deliver the flavor and nutritional value that you need. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Choose from more than 34 weekly options that are dietitian approved and flavor-packed. You can level up with Gourmet Plus options, that's upscale meals with premium ingredients like broccolini, leeks, truffle butter, and asparagus. And the Protein Plus range offers meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. And the Calorie Smart Collection are delicious dietitian approved meals with 550 calories or less per serving. And as you heard on the show earlier this year, Zach got sent some Factor meals and he absolutely loved them. He particularly liked their roasted garlic chicken dish and turkey chili. You just pop them in the oven, transfer to a plate, and you can enjoy a delicious dinner with just the right portion sizes. This August, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Choose your fresh, flavor-packed meals and have them delivered to your doorstep. Ready to eat in two minutes. No prep, no mess. So head to factormeals.com slash happyhour50 and use promo code happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code happyhour50 at factormeals.com slash happyhour50 to get 50% off your first box. Thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show. All right, Apple has done a U-turn on a right to repair bill in California. So this is like what Apple's kind of been battling in a few states and also in the European Union, where basically they need to make their phones more repairable or need to give people more access to the tools they can use to repair their phones. And now, I guess following the launch of the self-service repair program, Apple has endorsed the California right to repair bill for the first time. Yeah, so they've like been opposed to it previously, um, but now they've kind of like flipped around on it and said they're going to support it. And the reason that they're going to support it is because it's quite easy for them to do because basically all of the requirements are things they already do already through, as you mentioned, the self-service repair program. It basically describes the things that the the self-repair program does. So like uh, in one of the requirements in the bill is that manufacturers have to provide parts, tools, and repair documentation for for products that cost um, between $50 and $99 for three years and products that cost more than $100 for seven years. And if you look at what the... um, self-repair program does it offers repair parts back to the iphone 12 and this was when the iphone like 13 was announced right that's when they started it so quite clearly they're offering for at least three years and probably longer and it requires that repair tools parts and documentation are available for that time and what does the self-repair self-service repair program do it does exactly that Mm -hmm. like you have to go on a sketchy website to do it and like fill out this weird form that 
you know, like rent tools and mess about, but it offers exactly what this repair thing provides. It provides a way for end user customers to repair their devices using official documentation, official parts, uh, and there you go. So like Apple basically already complies. So they're coming out in support of it. It also, you know, dovetails into their environmental goals, like the whole thing about being, you know, fully, fully renewable, fully um, carbon neutral by 2030. Part of that involves repairing rather than, you know, having devices just dumped and stuff because they include like the usage of the phone, not just the production. Um, but also politically, it's good for them to be able to say, we support right to repair in this country. <laughs> Um, and the reason they do is because they already have basically cavorted on their previous stance of not offering any of this stuff to people other than like um, authorized resellers. But now if you want to, you can go on that Apple service repair site and do it yourself. I think the bigger battle here that they're going to face is what we talked about a few weeks ago in the European Union where they're pushing for batteries to be easily replaceable. And at the time, we were kind of unclear whether what you can get through the self-service repair program met that easily qualification. But it seems like they're moving in that direction. And I'm sure in the EU, they can point to this and say, we're trying our best. Like, look, we endorsed this in California. Let's work together and endorse it in the EU. Yeah. And the self-service repair program was initially launched only in the US. Um, but now it's in like all sorts of Europe, Belgium, France, Germany, UK, Italy, Spain. So like... They're obviously trying to make this the standard and they've come to some arrangement with some contract company to, you know, basically run that website. Uh, it, it, like, it's great that they support, they, they, they do support it, but I still think for most people that the self-service repair program is not what you want to use because, like, you pay basically the same, like, the, the spirit of the right to repair stuff is, like, you can repair your own stuff and not pay a lot for it, right? right. That's kind of, like, what they're trying to go for, but what the laws actually, the laws don't prescribe pricing, at, the, at least they don't at the moment. And so the prices that Apple set are basically identical to the prices that you can get the Apple Store to do it out of warranty. So as an individual person, if the Apple Store lets you do it, I would pick that option because that also means that they take on the risk. Like if they mess it up, they replace your device, right? Whereas if you have the self-service repair program and you muck it up, it's you that has to get find a replacement. So as a general rule, I recommend still going to the Apple Store. But if you want to do it yourself, or if you're like really far from Apple Store, you don't want to use their mail-in thing, um, the self-service repair program option is there. Just don't expect to really save any money on it. I think practically, if you can do the Apple Store repair, I always, if whenever I had to get my stuff repaired, I do mail-in. You mm -hmm. you just talk to them on the online chat, and they'll arrange it for you. Works fine in my opinion. You just put it in a box. They take it off to their little center. They repair it and they deliver it back because um, I don't live, particularly live near a store. Uh, but if you have a store, obviously, that's even easier. Um, and then for stuff that's really old, right, that, like, the Apple Store doesn't want to help you with, probably rather than going through... At that point, you have a device that you might want to keep using, but it's not as valuable anymore to you. So I would probably, like, gamble on, like, third-party repair stuff rather than the official Apple parts you get through self-service self repair just to mm -hmm. save the money. Um, but you can obviously make your own mind up about that. Yeah, the self-service repair like nomenclature is a little bit deceiving, I think, because I think the bigger deal with it is like smaller independent repair shops can get access to those tools and all the repair manuals. So then that just gives people more places to go that aren't Apple stores and aren't necessarily authorized repair places rather than people doing it themselves in their basement. 
Yeah, and we covered on the show what about a month or so ago. They took away that stupid, that stupid thing in the self self repair process, where at the end oh, of yeah. doing the mm-hmm. at the end of changing out the hardware, you'd have to call a phone number <laughs> and get someone remotely to run diagnostics on the phone to like confirm that it's successful. They finally dropped that requirement, so now you don't have to call anybody up. You can just run the diagnostics yourself, and all the because if you didn't do that, all those like pop ups on the phones like lock screen like this this part may be unauthorized blah, 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 would would not go away so you had to do that last like diagnostic step to make it go and before it was like a hassle you had to call them up and apple would have to like talk to you blah, blah, blah. but now you can do it purely on your own purely self-service you don't have to include another human at all and also this week apple had a kind of like a blog post on their developer website talking about some of the first vision pro labs with developers who had applied to go to one of Apple's like setups in London or Munich or Cupertino and try their apps on Vision Pro. So what, like one of the developers was Michael Simmons, who makes Fantastical. And one of his quotes was, it was like seeing Fantastical for the first time. It felt like I was part of the app. Then there's David Smith, who makes Widget Smith. He said, what did he say? I'd been staring at this thing in the simulator for weeks and getting a general sense of how it works, but that was in a box. The first time you see your own app running for real, that's when you get the audible gasp. So it seems like developers are pretty happy. I think the narrative Apple wants you to take away from this is to counteract some of the reports that interest in these developer labs was slower than they had anticipated. And maybe this can be used to to entice other developers to go ahead and make their appointment and come try their apps. I, I will say I have got an unusually high number of emails um, from Apple developer tell it, asking me to book an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, when, the, when the Apple Silicon um, thing happened, I got like one email yeah. and for when they were doing that developer kit. But for Vision Pro, I've literally had about five. And it's like, we have new slots available. We have slots here. You know, why don't you book an appointment? It's like, okay. You know, they're, they're really trying to get people through the doors. Um which is obviously what they have to do, right? That's what developer evangelism is. You have to, and the best way to get a developer excited about making something for the Vision Pro is to get them to try it on, right? So you go to these sessions, you get to wear the thing, you get to get that quote audible gasp, and then you're more motivated to like actually work on software for it for when it launches because it's going to be an uphill battle, as we spoke about before. The Vision Pro, very niche product, very expensive. You know, developers do not flock to markets of user bases which are small. Right. The Vision Pro user base, at least for the first year, probably for a few years, is going to be a fraction of a fraction. Like, it's going to be smaller than the iPad market, right? And the amount of investment in iPad apps is already way smaller than what it is for the phone. Um, And obviously, you know, Apple PR. <laughs> it's an Apple PR release that is getting these yeah. quotes from these people. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it, it buoys it up or whatever. But if they can convince somebody to make a Vision Pro specific app rather than make a just port their iPad app over with the automatic thing, that's a that's a win. And in fact, in that um, Apple PR press release, they quote a exec from Slack who said he came to the session originally to see the iPad port, you know, just running the iPad OS version, the same way you can do Apple Silicon, like on the Mac, you can run iPad apps on Apple Silicon Macs. You can do like the iPad apps automatically work on Vision Pro. He said he came to the session to see that in person and he came away thinking, well, actually, how can I make a actual Vision OS version of Slack mm-hmm. uh, for 
the, for the platform, which is exactly what Apple wants to hear, right? Because they would love to have like a proper version of Slack um, on that product. What I will say is it's very easy for like the developer or engineering exec who goes to the session to be all excited and enthusiastic about making a Vision Pro specific version. But then when they go home to their office and they come back to the reality, it's like, can we really dedicate engineers to something right. that is going to be small and not a big and not a big contribution when our iPad app does quote unquote work, you know? And that's that's only exempt the best exemplification of that is the the big section of the June presentation that featured a third party company was Disney. And what <laughs> did they promise? They promised the iPad version of yeah. Disney Plus, right? Like yeah, so that kind of speaks what you need to know on that basis. What do you think about the choices of developers that they used for this press release? Because there's Fantastical, David Smith, who has Widget Smith, and a ton of other apps, and then Slack and video music. What is it? A music video editor app, Spool? Yeah, an app called Spool. I hadn't heard of that before. No, but, uh, but it's clear that these are like really Apple must like it, like productivity or like utility apps rather than games or media apps is that well i i think i think media apps are like well i I guess i was about to say they're like a they're like a dead cert for being there but that's not true because we already (laughs) heard about netflix is planning only to do the ipad port right not the um and remember we spoke on the show before about i wasn't sure whether that was going to be able to support like the full screen experience oh yeah um I've since spoken to some people who suggest that that is indeed the case. So if you have the iPad version, you won't be able to make like Netflix go 100 feet wide like you can with uh, what they demoed for like the yeah. Apple TV Plus content, um, which is a big limitation because uh, if you're trying to enjoy a movie on the Vision Pro, you obviously want to make it nice and big. And if the iPad app can't do that, then maybe that would be a convincer to make. Like I can see apps like Netflix like add some sort of like basic compatibility where like the, most of the app UI is just the iPad port, but then when you actually play a video, it just puts it in this separate window that is Vision OS enabled, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the scheme of things, I think a lot of media apps, uh, or at least Apple's media apps would be ready on day one. They w- they'll they be pushing the 3D stuff. They've got Disney on board. I think they want to show productivity apps because they're trying to make, they're trying to push the idea of this being like the quote-unquote spatial computer, right? They don't, it's that thing that... Um, the Vision Pro person said at the talk show, uh, this is not, like, this is a tool, not a toy, right? Like, that's yeah. why they're trying to show mm-hmm. these apps off. And I think the choice of Fantastica and Widgetsmith is tactical in the sense that those people come from the hardcore Mac fan base, right? Yeah. Like, they're from the world of people that will make apps for the new shiny Apple platform, regardless or, you know, regardless of whether it's actually going to be a biz- a, the right business decision to do. Uh, they will make it anyway because it's fun, right? And they want to be there on day one. And they're smaller developers too. David Smith's one guy making these apps and maybe that can show that if he can do it, all of these companies with gigantic budgets and big teams should also at least explore it beyond just bringing their iPad apps to Vision Pro. Yeah, I mean, I hope so, but I'm skeptical. Yeah. Like, it just comes down to, you know, we saw all those crazy demos when Apple launched the Apple TV OS (laughs) back in 2015. And they had like Zelle, you know, buying houses and stuff. And, you know, in that first wave, like there actually was some companies that did try. Yeah. I mean, you even even had like Tinder do like dating on Apple TV, you know, like some companies you never normally expect. Right. And was never on on a TV platform before. And they kind of came out the gate and they kind of bought into the Apple um, vision. 
But then the the usage numbers just weren't there because the Apple TV box doesn't sell in very high quantities and people that do use it don't really want to do stuff other than watch video on it. So, you know, very quickly, the the illusion of like a new App Store golden opportunity kind of falls away. I think Vision Pro is way more likely to succeed than the TVOS App Store is, to be clear, yeah. or even like the Watch App Store. But it's probably at best going to match the vitality of the iPad, right? Not the phone. The, the, the phone's just a different beast. Um, and the iPad situation, like iPad apps, you know, look at what a lot of companies do for iPad apps. They just port their web apps. And what I think the colliery there is what are people going to do for Vision Pro, at least in the beginning, they're just going to port the iPad app. So do you think developers feel like burned by dedicating time to t- the tvOS app store and even the Apple watch app store uh, probably I think that I think the Apple watch was a bigger um rug pull for people because mm-hmm. like Apple really pushed companies to invest in Apple watch versions and then it never really came through and in the early days although Apple was like evangelizing making watch apps the SDK was just not capable enough yeah. to really support the use cases. You know, it took until like WatchOS six with SwiftUI for it really to come on board for that. And you and you saw a lot of companies that, you know, put a load of investment in on day one. Um, I think trying like based on the allure of Apple, right? Like you had Uber make like a a watch app, and you had all these companies make watch apps. And then once they realized that they weren't getting used, or the the the, the platform just wasn't mature enough. Uh, they they pulled back and now it's really hard to convince them to come back again maybe when it's actually more plausible i think with tvos like it was always more of a it was closer to always more no i don't want to say laughing stock but you know what i mean right like yeah. more people just assumed that it wasn't going to be a big platform and so there was less of a oh uh bait and switch scenario just because less people got baited <laughs> if that makes <laughs> sense like i think with the watch yeah. a lot of people got baited and then they regretted it with tvos like people were more realistic I think always, though, none of the history matters. It all comes down to product performance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if the Vision Pro sells loads and if it suddenly... Or if, like, the people that do buy it suddenly show a real affinity to buying expensive applications, more expensive applications will arrive. Like, the history is the history. Apple's... In terms of the competitive market, I think Apple's very well placed with a solid SDK built on the foundations of iOS and macOS and watchOS and, you know, all of its platforms. Like, UI frameworks in augmented reality vr platforms just don't exist like you like one of the reasons why productivity apps aren't a thing on like the oculus quest or the meta quest whatever you want to call it they just don't have like ui kit right like like, those things just don't really exist like they're good for games they can bring across unity and you know all the game frameworks but like productivity apps they're just you know like things that draw toolbars and menus and scrolling like those uis just don't really exist on on the on the SDKs of other platforms, so Apple's definitely well positioned there to make a quote tool, not a toy. But I think it's going to be limited, just based on numbers, right? If you if you if you you know all the supply chain reports, the Vision Pro is going to sell what like even if they sell every single one that they're going to make, it's like four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand yeah. units in one year. It keeps it's getting lower. Small of them. Yeah, it keeps getting lower. <laughs> yeah, it's just such a small small market. Um, which is fine, and Apple can support it, and Apple knows it's going to be a small start, and they're going to build it up from there. Um, I just hope that in five years' time, maybe when they are selling like iPad quantities of units, that the software experience will, like the people, the developers will then come on board. You know, one thing I said when we did our like Mega Vision Pro episode after my hands-on was that Apple couldn't go like radio silent on Vision Pro between WWDC and 
early 2024 whenever it's actually available. So I think this blog post style thing is a really good format that they should do more of, especially because, like I said, one of the narratives was already that people weren't as interested in these labs as they had hoped. So I'm thinking they probably have more of these style of updates and first person accounts coming. And either way, I think they're getting ahead of the potential for leaks of this developer went and tried it and they're staying anonymous, but here's what they thought. Like the people who have already clearly spoken to Mark Gurman about it. Yeah. This is the press machine in, in, in full swing. And this is exactly what they have to do. They have to try. They're doing all the right things. Um, only it just comes down to market mechanics um, at the end of the day. But Apple's going to push it, and they're going to try really hard. And if anybody has a chance, they do have a chance. Uh, it's just going to. I just think people have to keep their expectations relatively low. Like, just contextualize everything in four hundred thousand units in one year. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's nothing when you look at it compared to even the iPad. Like, they sell millions in a quarter. So, if Apple developers pestering you to go to a lab, are you going to do it? Just to say you did it and try it out? At the moment, if I had an idea of something and I felt like... I feel like if I go to a lab, I'm just wasting people's time because I don't really have a a thing that I want to build right now. Apparently, they're like, just handing The other them problem out. with Vision OS development is that it's hard. Like, making oh, yeah. a 2D app is really, like... You know, I can do it in my sleep at this point. I've been doing it for 10 years. Like, 3D is, like, such a different different world. And so, yeah, you could make a... You know, I could port one of my current apps to Vision Pro if I wanted to, and maybe I will. But like, if I, I feel like if I'm going for hands-on, I want to be doing the things that you know, like f- the fantastical quote is, "What would it be like if you have the whole week wrap around you in 360 degrees?" Right? Like, yeah. If you're going to go to the, one of these sessions, I feel like you want to be going there with ambition to do that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not going to make the trek just to, like, because I feel like if you go, you then have more of a commitment to doing something i don't want to let people down you know like i feel like it's a bit of a waste just to go to like have the quote-unquote experience which i would be under nda and everything anyway so it would also complicate like reporting that's you know? true, yeah, like, that's true. Want, like, trending people's toes if apple wants to set up a press like a press thing and you like like what you you know like the hands on the, the 30 minute yeah. hands on that you had and they want to do some of them in london i'll go 100 i'll be there tomorrow <laughs> but like i'm not going to go to a developer session just just for that well you can hire me on as a employee of mayo developing industries and i'll go try out (laughs) try out bingo machine and daily dictionary for you report back i'll even do it for free i won't ask for a salary wow you're hired (laughs) happy hour this week is also brought to you by zocdoc download the app for free at zocdoc.com slash happy hour you know that feeling you get when you finally find the thing that you've been searching for on the internet after spending hours researching and reading thousands of reviews? You find that perfect tool for the job. I just did this to find a new lawnmower and it's amazing. Five-star reviews, you can get it shipped in 48 hours. It's glorious. But how come you can get the most random, wonderfully reviewed thing from around the world in two days? But if you want to see a good doctor, it can take forever to get an appointment. And how do you know if they're even good in the first place? Thankfully, there is a way. It's called ZocDoc. Find and book great doctors who actually have amazing reviews, many with appointments available within 24 hours. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. And you can filter for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition that you're searching for. 
And just like my new lawnmower, the average wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. Once you find the doctor that you want, you can book them immediately with just a few app taps. Simple, fast, and no more awkwardly waiting on a phone to a receptionist. What a great idea. If I need this product, it's what I'd use. So go to ZocDoc.com slash happy hour and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com slash happy hour. ZocDoc.com slash happy hour. Thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring the show. So we sat down to start recording this morning and then we ended up being delayed just a little bit because Threads finally launched on the web. So this is something that Meta has been promising since Threads launched and it's here. So threads.net. It's a fully functional web interface for Threads. Yeah, we were just talking about porting iPad apps. Yeah. (laughs) They've ported iPhone threads to the web in the most literal way you can imagine. It's good, yeah. though. Single they did column, a good job. Slap bang in the center. Yeah. It works well. I I don't think this made it onto the show last week, but we are kind of bemoaning about how threads usage is down and also Mastodon usage is down and Twitter is Twitter. And there was really no one place where it seemed like we could go. But I think this launch of threads on the web is going to go a long way towards pr- kind of bringing... Threads usage, not back to where it was when it first launched, because I don't know if they'll ever hit that amount of activity again. But this should this should bring over some people who, kind of like me and you, their primary use of social media is on the Mac. Yeah, like the Apple niche, right, of like tech social Twitter, right, is I was trying to find an alternative to Twitter and Threads seemed like a promising example. But like you say, the the usage just kind of fell away. And most people are still on Twitter from my experience, <laughs> so that's where we go. But hopefully a Threads web experience um, juice re, you know, reinvigorates some interest. I mean, it certainly helps me check it out more often because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're talking about the mass population of the world, people use social media on their phones, right? But if you're talking about, like, tech, tech Twitter, that kind, of, that kind of demographic, there are a lot more people using, you know, Macs for their day-to-day life. So what, being able to get it onto the desktop is handy. Um, it would be slightly better if it was slightly more optimized because, you know, like even using Twitter on the web, it has like multiple columns and, you know, sidebar and stuff like this is the most literal. We've just slapped the iPhone interface on the desktop, although the the tab bar is at the top rather than the bottom for some reason. But there you go. Um, but it's a good start. And it does, like you said, it feels pretty responsive and snappy. So that's good. And in macOS Sonoma, they have the new feature where you can save uh a web app to your dock and it opens like in its own window and without the toolbar at the top and everything, it looks a lot like just a native Mac OS app. And that works perfectly for threads. So you just go to threads.net, go to the menu bar, hit save to dock. And then it's like, you've got a native threads app on your Mac and you can even save multiple instances basically with the Safari profiles feature in Sonoma. So I saved one version of threads to my doc that's signed into my personal account, and then another version with a different logo signed into the 9to5Mac account. Because when we're posting stories to threads, having to do it like from a phone where threads still doesn't have great multi-account support, like that's been the biggest bottleneck. And you'll notice there's kind of gaps where we forget to post stories onto threads because of that. So that's another benefit of this is 
kind of that better multi-account experience. And it's a testament, I think, to how good the web apps feature in macOS Sonoma is. So far for me, it's like the biggest reason to update. Yeah, I can't wait uh, to get that. Originally, I wanted it for TweetDeck. Oh, yeah. Good old TweetDeck's been destroyed. (laughs) So you had (laughs) to pay up, didn't you? Yes, and I'm paying up for X-Pro, which is... And unfortunately, when you pay up for X-Pro... You don't get TweetDeck, you get their modern TweetDeck, right? Which is renamed to X-Pro. And TweetDeck Classic is better than X-Pro in every single way. So now I'm paying for something that's a lot worse. It's slower, it's buggier, you can't do as much, the fonts are huge, like a million different complaints I could love with X-Pro. Um, I wish they just... Like the, the paying is like annoying, but like, you know, whatever. I just wish they let me use the old version. And there was a Chrome extension... Because um, the, like, the thing that X-Pro now is is what TweetDeck Beta was, right? And so it was like, yeah. TweetDeck's in Beta. Well, we make it better. And then now it's just, well, we got bored of making it better. It's the same, so we're just going to ship it as the only option. And for a while, there was a Chrome extension that would like force the site back into the old version. Um, and it was really nice. But at least for me, that got broken yesterday. So now I'm subjected to X-Pro for real. And not the greatest experience in the world. I probably... Feature-wise, it's slightly better than what Threads is right now, but because you do get multiple columns and like the big, the big thing for me is I can have like search columns for like Apple News, right? Yeah. And so it just like flies by and you can see it. Um, but it's not as good as desktop Twitter apps, which have now been gone for like almost a year, and it's not as good as TweetDeck. Unfortunately, hopefully they make it better, but with anything Twitter these days, you can never be sure <laughs> they're going to touch it because it's a big mess. But yeah. When Sonoma comes out, I will slap threads in a Safari web app and I will slap XPro in a Safari web app. I noticed you still have the check mark on your Twitter account. Are you going to use the feature that lets you hide the check mark or are you just going to bite the bullet? Should I hide it? I don't know. It's You might as well own up to it. I mean, that's why I kind of, I feel like hiding it is like worse than lying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if someone asks me, I'll say, look, I'm paying for it for TweetDeck, right? Like, I didn't pay for it until now because there wasn't any other reason for me to want it. Um, but I feel like TweetDeck's a fair thing to put under it behind a paywall. It's like a pro It's like a pro thing. I'm paying for it. I use Twitter a lot. I, w- I would hope that we could not use Twitter anymore and use something else, but the reality is a lot of activity still happens on there, so that's where I am mostly. Um, if Threads eventually, you know, becomes big enough, then I'll just stop using Twitter and then I can stop paying for it. And supposedly, if I get enough impressions, I'll get paid oh, yeah. on Twitter now, which is a weird system. Uh, so, yeah, so I guess, theoretically, I could get my $8 yeah. uh, refunded yeah, if I get enough quote-unquote engagement. Are you going to use any of the other... What is, is it called? X-Blue? X-Pro? X- X-Blue, I think. X-Blue, yeah. that's great. But are you going to use any of the other X-Blue features now that you have them? Not really. Not really. You don't want maybe to, I'll edit a typo. You don't want to set. I think they. By the way, I've just looked. It's not X Blue. It's now just called Premium. X Premium. Interesting. Mm. Are you going to set up? I mean, what features do you even get? You get verification. What do you do? You can upload longer videos. Okay. You can set a NFT mm. as your profile picture. Oh yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. That's <laughs> that's, that's what I need. Uh, what I'll do is. I'll turn off the blue check, but I'll put on an NFT profile yeah. picture just to yeah. balance it out. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I don't even know. I, I'm hopeful that Threads gains some traction. And I, what do you think about how they're going to get like more just Instagram users over to Threads? Because when Threads first launched, what I liked about it was it was kind of the hodgepodge of people who I know, like quote unquote, in real life, like people from high school and college and like real life friends mixed with all of my online friends. But the crowd has kind of shifted to where a lot of those real life friends don't seem to be using threads as much as they were in that first week. Yeah, they just got back to Instagram, right? And the launch of a web app isn't going to bring them back. So what is going to bring them back? Like what is what does threads do to bring back that crowd? Look, launching social networks is very hard and most don't succeed. But Threads does have an advantage because it is linked to Instagram. Yeah. I think I said this at the time, I think when it launched, it's like surely at some point they're gonna just put like the threads feed inside of Instagram. Like Yeah. Just make it a tab or something. Or make it like when you post to Instagram, you can also post to threads like in the same message. I know it's like and then maybe when you reply, like if even if you don't put like the threads timeline into Instagram, maybe if you like reply to somebody, it like shows in your Instagram notification or something. Like I feel like there's ways they could integrate it that wouldn't annoy people too much. They should. They could put a like a separate little bar on people's profile pages where it says like latest posts on threads or something. Mm, yeah, there's like, ways to do it short of just combining it all into one application because I don't think that's the right the right move, but doing some sort of crossover is what they're going to have to at some point. They're going to need to tap into the Instagram network to to really draw in more people. Yeah, or maybe like you don't bring the whole timeline over, but like if someone's posted a photo on Instagram and they've recently posted on threads, it just has a little like banner yeah. next to it. Like, you know, this person also posted here, blah, blah, blah. Go and see what's going on or something. Like there's ways they can move the funnel. I think right now, Facebook or Meta or whatever you call them, they seem to be quite chill and just like slowly making the pl- the product better, improving the features and stuff. And then I think at, f- at some point they're going to want to do monetization, and that's when the pressure to add users really ex- becomes you know more taut. So that's probably when they'll push some more of those like cross promotional Instagram things. I did see Adam Mozeri respond to somebody on Threads this week who was asking about support for direct messages, and his response was that they don't know if that's needed on threads when Instagram already has a direct message system that's integrated with Facebook, which that could be a sign of like how they plan to balance the two together. But personally, I want a direct message feature on threads itself, but I understand the logic of not necessarily wanting another separate inbox. I mean, in an ideal yeah, world, there's that, Matt as a prioritization about yeah. more things to work on it, in the, in the full course of time, social media apps do not stay niche. They just do everything, right? So I would expect at some point, as long as Thread survives, it will get DMs. What about an iPad app? Not so sure about that one. I need to try the web app on the iPad because the Instagram web app on iPad saved to the home screen is actually pretty good. So this, it's not the ideal solution, but this could work as well as a web app can work for now for the time being. And finally this week, we have some Apple TV Plus news where... An older Apple TV Plus movie kind of shot to the top of the charts because of TikTok. Is that right? What happened there? Yeah, so this is based off um, a tweet I did this week. I thought I'd just expand it slightly on the show to give a bit more context. But So if, I'll just ask you, Chance, right? Have you ever heard of the Apple TV Plus movie Palmer? No. Is that the one with who Justin Timberlake? or 
That is the Justin Timberlake one. Yeah. yeah. I've heard of it. I could not yeah. tell you what it's about. I have never watched it. You never watched it, right? Okay. So it came out in like mid 2021. It's like, and it, I think it was like decent at the time. Like, you know, a few, it was there for a couple of weeks, but it didn't like stick around, right? Like one of the, if you look on the TV Plus chart, like Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie that came out like during, like the beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. is still like in the top movie chart because you know people love Tom Hanks, so it like sticks around. Palmer was like not on the charts; it was in obscurity, nowhere to be seen. Then literally last week, it like shoots up to number one on the movie chart on TV Plus. Some context contextualizing, obviously the number one streaming movie on tv plus is still small compared to the number one movie on streaming right yeah it's just the, the relative size of the services but on tv plus itself it had jumped to number one and it turns out that for whatever reason some tiktok channels had just started posting clips of the film and they were racking up tens of millions of views 70 million views uh, 10 million yeah. views 5 million views like and so obviously people see the TikToks and they go and and then if you look at the comments on the TikToks it's like what movie is this what movie is this because nobody recognises it you know and then eventually people find it and then it shoots the top of the TV Plus chart and this is just like a a perfect example to me of where people market the show for you right like Apple the Apple TV as a company right the marketing machine didn't do anything for this to happen right they've you know written off Palmo from two years ago. They market at the time, they don't anymore. But by nature of viral social media, this popped off. And how did it pop off? By posting clips of the film onto social media platforms. But what does these companies, and this applies to Apple TV, applies to any streaming service really, what do these companies not let you do? Share clips or screenshots of the films, oh, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Like, you, If you try and take a screenshot of when you're watching this film on your phone, it would just be blacked out as a black screen because of DRM. You can't record a video. You can't record a screen recording. But these things work. These are like free marketing things. It's it's crazy to me that these services, like it's like baffling, like why they actively block this stuff when it's so clearly effective as a free marketing tool. Like there has to be a better experience than just like taking a screenshot and being completely blacked out. I understand that there are, you know, licensing restrictions copyright problems they don't want things to get pirated by just like screen recording the whole thing but like all like all like all piracy that doesn't stop people yeah you can pirate apple tv plus content trust me you can go on the you know you can go on the same places where you can pirate any other hollywood film you can find the apple tv plus stuff on there um but aside from that let's say that you're just an individual person and they're trying to stop you from like screen screen recording the whole film fine only let people screen record a minute, one minute. You know, yeah. you can you can record one clip per show or something. Or you don't even have to like actively let people screen record what they want. I just think if you went to like take a screen record, t- take a screen record and take a screenshot, rather than just being like a blacked out image, what if it just like immediately prompted you with clips from that episode that they'd already put on YouTube or whatever, and then you can reshare if you want to, or you can reshare on Instagram. There's like a one button sharing button, like, or if you take a screenshot, you're allowed to like take five screenshots per episode or something. Like, and what's really funny is the social media accounts of these services retweet other people sharing these clips, <laughs> but the service himself doesn't let you do it. So like, people on Twitter have obviously worked around the DRM restrictions one way or the other to share the actual clips. And then, like, the Apple TV Plus account retweets it. But Apple TV app does not let you do it. So it's, like, such a weird environment where, like, it clearly works. And, like, the social media 
people like really like it, but the actual applications don't support it in any way at all. Um, so they should do better. And Apple's a technology company. They control the OS, right? Yeah. Like They could make this happen. They could make it so when you take a screenshot and you're looking at a DRM content, the app gets a notification or, you know, some way to respond to that in a different way than just taking a black screen. The the trend of, like, posting clips and stuff from movies and TV shows on TikTok is super popular. This is, like, a different side of example, but there's a show. It was during my childhood quite a bit. It's called Drake and Josh. I don't know if it was ever, mm-hmm. ever big mm-hmm. over there, yeah. but for some reason over the last couple of weeks, like, half of my TikTok, like, for you feed has just been clips from Drake and Josh. And then you click through to like the profiles that are posting these clips and they're posting full episodes just split up into like three minute clips. So you watch three minutes, you scroll up, there's part two, part three. And obviously that's like the bad side of doing this, but it's working. I mean, more people are, I guarantee if you go and look at the charts for whatever streaming service Drake and Josh is on nowadays, that it's higher than it's been in a long time just because of this random TikTok trend. Yep. And you might. I feel like you might as well try and support this kind of stuff legitimately than actively right. block it all out. Yeah. Because if you actively block it out, you either get no engagement and no marketing, or you get people just work around the system. Like, just a weird scenario. Like Apple, in recent months, has been posting clips from their shows on their YouTube page. Right. So rather than just trailers, they like take out like three minute, four minute clips and post them on the YouTube page. Like, why not when you're in the show and you try and share it? Does it not pop up saying, here's all these clips you can share? You know what I mean? Like, there's, like, some obvious integrations you can do. It would be even better if they just let you freely screen record a clip or a couple of minutes or a thing. Like, you know, Overcast has that for podcasts, that little little clip sharing thing, Mm -hmm. which is really nice. Like, something for that that's, like, in the TV experience or, like, the TV app experience would be great. Uh, There's clearly something better than literally just outright blocking with a black blacked out image because i don't know if you see this on twitter sometimes but people people don't realize that like it's blacked out so they'll take a screenshot and they'll share it anyway without uh, really looking yep. and so what you get is like the subtitles because people love subtitles turned on and they don't get removed so you just get a black screen of phone size <laughs> image with some with some subtitles at the bottom it's like come on figure something out do you not turn on subtitles that sounded a little bit passive aggressive i don't like subtitles interesting I don't know. I think the fact that it's a movie from 2021 is what's really interesting. And like you talking about it, I looked up the like the summary synopsis and I probably would watch this movie. I just never heard of it. I don't remember it coming out. I don't remember. I'm sure we posted about it at some point or it was in your your mega TV roundup, but I haven't seen it. The best the best endorsements are from social media, right? Yeah. Like- just make it easier for people to share this stuff. <laughs> but anyway, I think that does it for this week. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or Overcast or wherever you listen. And on Apple Podcasts, you can get an ad-free version of the show for $5 a month or $50 a year. If you like 9 to 5 Mac Happy Hour, you can use Overcast and share clips and give us your thoughts. You can send us feedback, Happy Hour at 9to5mac.com. You can find me on Twitter, Mastodon, Threads, at Chance H. Miller. And Mayo, where are you? BZA Mayo on Threads, Mastodon, X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it. And BZMayo.com if you want my personal oh, little bit, little addition there. Go check out, yeah, mixed it up. Go check out his blue check mark and 
<laughs> See how long it takes him to hide it. All right. Thanks, Mayo. Bye-bye.